Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. I want to echo Samuel's comments about the worship this morning. It was fantastic, and God bless all of you that were part of that. It was wonderful. So much energy. Uh, if you have not, if we have not met you yet, my wife Kathy and I are the directors of the prayer ministries here at the Vineyard, and we uh, we're we're entering our fifth year now here at the Vineyard. We came, I think it was 2019, uh, from Texas. And so I do want to have, ask you this morning, are there any people from Texas in the house today at all? One, <laughs> one person. Oh, oh, you are the best. Anyone else? Nobody? Oh, the barbecue isn't so good up here, is it? No, it tastes like shoe leather, except for yours, Q, except for yours. <laughs> and Thad, <laughs> uh, two guys, yeah, two guys. Oh, <laughs> that's great. Well, according to scientists who've studied the brain, by the end of today, you will have made 35,000 decisions. And let's assume for a second that this figure is wrong, right? Can't trust the media. And so let's just say that we only make 5,000 decisions a day. Well, that is still 1 million 825,000 decisions that you and I will make in just this year alone. Many of us will face decisions this year that will have consequences for the rest of our lives. Where should you go to school? Should you move to Chicago? Should you get a PhD? Go on a diet. Sell your car or your house. Decisions to whether you should take social security or not. Or get chemo. Remember, at the end of this year, we have a major presidential election. That will take some decisions. The title of my message today is Decisions, Decisions. And you know, one of the most important decisions we can make is to develop a new habit, like the habit that we're trying to form as we read the one-year Bible together. And I just want to add a couple of thoughts uh, to, to our project so far on, the, on that. Remember, we are not reading to complete an assignment. We're not reading to tick off the boxes. You know, you could be all caught up with the readings today and still not have let the Holy Spirit touch your heart as you read God's word. Amen? Yeah. One single moment, one single encounter with the Lord in his word is worth more than a month of readings where we do not engage at all. It's about encountering him. It's not about getting done with the reading. Amen? Okay. The goal is twofold. Number one is to develop consistent daily habits, maybe new habits for some of us to read God's word. 
But also the goal is to learn how, and it does take some learning, how to let the Lord touch us as we read the scriptures. So I would say pay attention as you're reading to those times when you, you, your heart is sort of tugged or you, you get sensitive to a particular thing you just read. That could be the Lord, could be the Holy Spirit, just tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, I want you to camp out in this, this passage for a while. I have two prayers that I pray every day before I read the scriptures. And these have been so helpful to me and I want to share them with you. And the first one is from Psalm 119. Before I read, I say this prayer. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. And the second prayer I pray is, teach me something new about you today, Lord. And I want to tell you, he's never not answered those, those prayers for me. I'd like you to make those or something like those prayers your own as well. Before you read the scriptures, remember we have the spirit of truth Ask the Holy Spirit to come before you read and just show you what he wants you to see. All right, well, let's pray. Father, Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Lord, when you proclaimed that word, you created the reality of the kingdom with that proclamation. And we say today, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we say, come Holy Spirit, now to us, this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to look at passages, surprise, surprise, that you have not read yet. They will be in this week's readings. Also, we're not going to be uh, studying anything in Genesis this morning, as we have been, which has been very, very good. We're going to be looking at the Proverbs. Today, we want to focus on how God wants to empower you and me in our decisions. And to do that, we have to look at wisdom in Proverbs 8, 8 verse 1. So let me read that to you. And as I read, pay attention to, the, to this character called woman wisdom. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Well, you might have noticed that wisdom is depicted here as a woman. And what Solomon is doing here, he, he's using a very common literary device called personification, where you give an abstract concept or maybe an inanimate object human characteristics so you can make that concept more understandable. So this is not some mystical figure, this woman. This is not... Um, a god or anything like that. It's fiction. It's out of Solomon's imagination by revelation from the Lord. All right? Okay, but the point I want to make here is, is this, and this is a major point. Everything that we're going to find 
to be true about this woman, wisdom, everything is contained in Jesus himself. Jesus is called in the New Testament, the wisdom and power of God. He is the embodiment, the full embodiment of wisdom. So everything we're going to read about woman wisdom, just remember it's Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit, by the way, who is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? All right. Now, did you notice in that scripture that I just read, did you notice where she chooses to stand? She's in three strategic places. She's on the heights, she's at the crossroads, and she's at the gates leading into the city. And this all means something very profound. Well, first of all, on the heights, every military knows that the high ground is the most strategic ground. She is standing on the high ground. And what does that mean for us? Well, that's a poetic way of saying that wisdom, this woman wisdom, sees everything. Everything. You know, some years ago, some friends and I hiked up the, uh, one of the mountains in the front range of the Colorado Rockies in Estes Park. If you've been there, you know what I mean. And I remember the moment we broke through the tree line. And all of a sudden, come out of the trees, and it's just snow all along the summit there. And of course, the vista was breathtaking. There was another mountain range that was right, as I recall, right next to ours, called the Never Summer Range. I could see the Never Summer Range. I could see over the Never Summer Range to other mountains and other hills beyond that. I could see for miles up there. And you know, when I looked down to the valley, I could see the whole city of Estes Park laid out below. I could see everything. One of the most astonishing things I remember when I looked around the mountain that we had just climbed up itself, I saw three beautiful, sparkling blue mountain lakes. We couldn't see the lakes from the trailhead. And we couldn't see them from the trail itself unless you knew exactly where to go. But I was standing on the summit. And I could see all three of these lakes, invisible before. I could see now all of them all at one time. By placing wisdom on the heights, Solomon is saying that wisdom can see far and near. She can see above and below. She sees it all. Well, down here in the valley where you and I live, our vision is imperfect, isn't it? Our knowledge is limited, isn't it? Right now, some of you, or maybe even this year, will face problems that will be as thick as trees. The Lord is graciously inviting you to step above the tree line as you face those issues or those problems. Step above the tree line. In other words, receive the wisdom of God for whatever it is that you're looking at and watch there be a breakthrough. Amen?
Well, second, this lady is standing where the paths meet. Well, think about that. It's real simple. It's elementary. What do you have to do when you're hiking and you come to a trail where there's two or three trails that are intersecting? Well, you have to make a choice. Push it a little further. You have to make a decision about your direction. You have to make a decision about your future. Is that anyone in this room? Is there anyone here today that is facing a decision about what direction you should take this year or your future? Well, where is wisdom? She's at the crossroads. She's at the decision-making point. What a gift. Solomon is suggesting that when you and I must make decisions this year, wisdom is right there, ready to give us counsel, her perspective. And we're going to make a million decisions, as I said this year, on the low end. Wouldn't we like the Lord's perspective on some of those decisions? Thank you. Wouldn't we want counsel from someone who knows all the options, all the possibilities, and can see everything that we cannot see? Wouldn't we like their counsel? Well, that's what the wisdom of God is. She's standing at the point of decision at the crossroads. But she's also standing by the gates leading into the city. This is where I get excited. In ancient times, the city gate was like our downtown district. It's where all of the financial, cultural, social, administrative, and legal decisions of the city were made at the gate. The most important decisions of the city. Solomon has now put this woman wisdom at the gate. Isn't it interesting? She was up high on the heights, but now she's down in the city. Isn't that interesting? She was in a rural environment before, but now she's in an urban environment. Think about what that means. Solomon is suggesting he puts her at the gate because he's making a point about wisdom's effect on our vocations, the work that we do at home and at work. I think you could add. The work we do every day in the city. And I think he's suggesting really simply before we do a single thing for our jobs, our vocations, our career, before we do anything, where is this woman wisdom to give us counsel? Right at the gate, the place where the big decisions are made. No matter what we do, it takes the wisdom of God to do it right to do it well, and to do it successfully. Raising our children. Planning a wedding. Selling a business. Managing your home. Managing any kind of resources. Working with bosses and co-workers. We need the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is available for us. You know, we could make those decisions for home and work on our own, 
But why would we want to when we have such an amazing gift in the wisdom of God? Why not humble ourselves instead and receive God's wisdom to help each one of us make good decisions, the best decisions, the right decisions, godly kingdom decisions. That's what the wisdom of God is for. You know, that's what Solomon did. If you remember, he was 20 years old and he suddenly became the king. God appeared to him in a dream. Boy, I wish he'd do this for me. And he said, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon could have asked for anything and God would have given it to him. But this is what he said. This is Solomon's response. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. We know from God's answer to Solomon after that, God said, since you've asked for wisdom, that this was a prayer for wisdom. Out of all the things he could have desired, what is Solomon at the moment of his kingship thinking he needs the most? The wisdom of God, a discerning heart, which means a listening heart. Of course, that wisdom is for our vocations as well. And I, I want to encourage some of you to turn Solomon's prayer into a prayer for yourself, for your vocation. Father, thank you so much for this job. Thank you for putting me in this position. Thank you so much. Father, my knowledge is limited. I can't see everything that I'm supposed to see. I don't know everything. Father, give your servant a discerning heart. Would you give me wisdom for my job? Would you give me wisdom for managing my household? Give me that discerning heart. Give me that discerning heart so that I may be successful in the work you've called me to do. There's a beautiful and sweet humility in Solomon's prayer. This is the humility that we need to have as well. Wisdom has outstanding vocational advice for every one of us in this room. She sees above and below, near and far. She sees what we cannot see. She stands at the crossroads, the point where we make decisions. She's at the gates where we have to go through to do our work. There's no activity on planet Earth where wisdom, her counsel, is not needed. It's vital to the work that we're doing. Now, what is she doing? If you can remember the scripture that I said, what was she doing? I kind of emphasized it. She's crying out. She's calling out. She's shouting. She's shouting to you, oh men. Come, come to me. Well, why is she shouting? Because she's got competition. She's competing against the voices of the world the culture we live in, social media, advertising, marketing, television. She's competing against all those voices. Plus the voices that come from our own uh, flesh. What 
Peter calls unholy desires, the cravings that we sometimes have. And of course, she's competing against the voices that come from the evil one, who's a deceiver and a liar and who's always whispering in our ear something untrue. That's why she's shouting. She's got to rise above those voices. You know, these are loud and obnoxious voices, and we can get very distracted in our day-to-day lives. In my opinion, I think we're one of the most distracted people that ever lived, constantly being pulled away from the thing that we really should be doing. And some of us are so overwhelmed on a day-to-day basis by distractions that you have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you're fighting distractions, you come on up for prayer on the ministry line today, and we're going to break that off of you and pray that you'll start to hear the Lord's voice. Okay, well, we've seen where wisdom is standing. We know what she's doing. She's crying out to you and me, and she's trying to shout above the, the din of the voices. Now let's look at the gifts that wisdom wants to give to each one of us. This is amazing stuff. This is from Proverbs 8, 12, uh, verse 14. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. Did you notice what she hates? She hates pride and arrogance. Why does she hate these things? Well, the Proverbs teach us that he who trusts in himself is a fool. And what it's talking about are people who rely on their own point of view, their own judgments, their own experience. It's people who insist on doing things their own way. Everyone else is wrong. No one has anything to teach them. Do you know people like this? Are you a person like this? I hope not. You see, pride does not listen or take advice. Pride is the root of self-pity, arrogance, bragging, egotism, vanity, stubbornness, and rebellion, among other things. Pride judges others and makes accusations. Pride is incapable of honoring another person. Pride ignores boundaries, rules, anything that restricts the self. Pride destroys relationships among equals and it threatens true community. Now do you see why wisdom hates pride? Pride is antithetical to everything that wisdom is. We must get rid of it. You know, there comes a time in a believer's life when we're doing all the right things, we're praying, we're reading scripture, but things in your life might be going wrong. Grace may seem to have lifted, 
Something like what Di talked about a couple weeks ago when she described the Lord lifting the grace off of her marriage for a time. Your life just doesn't seem to be working, and you know it should be working better, but it's not. You live in a constant state of frustration. I want you to pay attention to frustration. God may be trying to get your attention. It says in the scriptures, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sometimes the Lord deliberately frustrates our will to get us to see that we need to surrender that will. And by the way, this is when God can seem very, very cruel, but he's not. He can seem very mean to us, but he's not. He's actually loving us. He knows that if you and I, here's the point I want to make. If you and I, with our limited knowledge, our imperfect vision, and sometimes our pride, if we get our way, we will invite hardship and pain. And God does not want that for us. And sometimes he will frustrate our will so that we see that. Although you love God and maybe you follow him, you may still be holding on to your right to yourself. Your will, your understanding, your way of doing things. God may be opposing you so that you surrender your will in some area. Folks, this is not just for a few people. This is all of us, all of us, because we're not completely under yet the lordship of Jesus. So here, no condemnation. This is for all of us, and God wants us to be free. And if that's you, if you've been in a zone of frustration for a while, I want to also invite you to come to the ministry line where you come up, and I want you to surrender your will. I want to encourage you to give it up. And ask God to take your will and replace it with his will. And I guarantee you that will be a prayer for some of you that will absolutely, from this day forward, change the whole direction of your life. It's a decision that you might want to make. Okay. Now let's look at the virtues that wisdom wants to give to us. Prudence, knowledge, discretion, Counsel, sound judgment, understanding, and power. All right, I want to compare these virtues with another list of virtues that come from wisdom also, but is found in James 3.17. So let me read that passage, and then we're going to compare the two lists. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. So looking at these side by side, let's see what each set of virtues is trying to do. Do we have that slide? There we go. I want you to notice the virtues on the right from James 3.17 and ask yourself in what situations are those virtues needed? Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, well, if you notice, 
They are virtues that empower us to have good relationships with one another. They are virtues that empower us to live together well in community. We need people who are submissive and merciful and so on. But that's not true of the list in Proverbs 8, is it? Under what situations do we need those virtues? Counsel, direct discretion, understanding. Here's the exciting thing that I've discovered about this. These are the virtues that bring success and happiness in our work, in our vocations. So God in his wisdom has given us seven virtues from Proverbs 8 that help us in our work at home, help us to be productive and successful. He's also given us seven other virtues of wisdom in James that will help us get along with each other in relationships and form good community. So I like to tell people, when you ask for wisdom, you're asking for the Holy Spirit to release all 14 of those virtues inside your heart because they come from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Does that excite you? I hope it does. Happiness and success in our work. Okay. What is a virtue? It means moral excellence. It means right action and right thinking. What do these virtues do? They empower us to make good decisions. Prudence, for example, means foresight. And it has to do with a careful management of resources. Some of you this year will make decisions that have to do with dwindling resources. Prudence is the virtue that God wants to give us so that we know how to manage resources well in the present so there are no scarce resources in the future. It's an incredible gift. Knowledge, students, you need knowledge. You run on knowledge and understanding. Daniel and his three friends were captured and they were taken to a foreign country where they were forced to learn the language and literature of that nation. They were teenagers. How are they going to do this? Well, Daniel 1.17 is the beautiful answer. And students, this also you can turn into a prayer. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. When I was a grad student, I made that my prayer. Lord, you gave Daniel and his friends the ability to not only understand the language, but to master the literature in that language. Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me understanding for my studies as well. Students, turn that into a prayer. God wants to empower us. Discretion, oh my goodness. What is discretion? It is carefulness in speech or behavior that does not cause offense. Discretion is sound decisions in speech and action. How many of us have messed up because we've said the wrong thing at the wrong time to people? and caused a lot of damage. Discretion is the virtue that helps us make good decisions with our words, online and in person. That's what that virtue does. That's why we need it. Power. Oh my goodness, what is power? It means heroic val valor. It means courage, might, strength. To do what? To make decisions. Some decisions that we have to make are very, very difficult, and it takes courage to do it. It takes power to do it, and that's what this virtue does. Two, two proverbs I want to give you at this point as we close it up. 
I love these two. A wise man or woman has great power, and a man or woman of knowledge increases strength. And then this one from Ecclesiastes. Wisdom makes one wise man or woman more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. That's power, folks. God intends for his people to walk in the power of God. I want to close with this quote from Dan Coates. He's the former director of national intelligence for the United States. A magnificent quote about how heroes are made. Character cannot be summoned at the moment of crisis if it has been squandered by years of compromise and rationalization. The only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane, the day-to-day. The only preparation for that one profound decision which can change a life or even a nation is those hundreds of half-conscious, self-defining, seemingly insignificant decisions made in private. Habit is the daily battleground of character. My friends, God so loves you and me that he wants to empower every person in this room with the wisdom that comes from heaven so that what? We can make good, sound decisions for the rest of our lives. Amen? Amen. God bless.